Today is an interesting day. It's been a while since we've been here. I don't even remember how long, but it's been quite a while. And uh, <laughs> we're glad, we're glad to be here. We're glad to be here with a great, great evening last night to start the Sabbath with uh, Adam's family. And maybe I shouldn't say the Adam family, huh? <laughs> not those. These are not monsters here. They're very, very sweet people. We had a great, great evening. But you know, this morning I got up and, uh, it's one of those days that you open the hymn book and uh, for some reason the tears want to start and we open the scriptures and the tears want to start and then the mission story in Sabbath school, if you weren't here for that, you really missed something today. It was about a Muslim man who was persecuting Christians and beating a woman and as he broke her arm in the beating, the lady said to him, God bless you, brother. And his life changed on the instant. And it's interesting that this can happen in other places. There in DeQueen, Arkansas, the youth minister for First Baptist Church was part of the part of the rotation to give Sunday services at the county jail. He was the one who made up our schedule. And I was looking for him one day. And the pastor of uh, Geneva Missionary Baptist Church in DeQueen told me, oh, he's gone to Africa. He said he goes every year. And I said, when you see him, you tell him I said, you do not go to Africa where you just tell people there's a God in heaven that loves you and wants you in, their, in his kingdom in spite of you being a sinner and they line up to bat, get baptized. I said, you tell him to work over here where it's hard. <laughs> in the United States, quit that. You got to be with the rest of us. And it is hard, friends. Listen, our happiness, you know, we have to know the difference between joy and happiness, don't we? Joy is something you can have knowing when you've accepted the Lord and His salvation that cannot be taken away from you. That doesn't mean once you're saved, you're always saved. It means as long as you want to be saved, you can be. And if you want to be saved and you believe that you've given your heart to the Lord and you've seen the conversion of your heart and seen it changed, you will not go back to your life of sin. You may struggle here and there. But you will not return. If you should return, you have made a decision that you want to give your salvation back to God. But the devil cannot take it away from you. And I'm glad about that today. For whatever reason, very emotional. And it didn't help the things that have gone on. As Christy and I are sitting here in the, in the pews today during Sabbath school. She gets a notice that. A cousin of hers in Ashdown, Arkansas has passed away and we have very special love for this lady. It's very difficult for both of us. And death and sorrow and sickness, friends, continues with us and it shall until the Lord comes. That's why we take such comfort in the last verse of the song we sang when it says, when we've been there 10,000 years. Boy, what does that mean to us now? We can't imagine living 10,000 years. But when we've been there 10,000 years and we're bright and shining as the sun, we have no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. You see, I am a cancer survivor. 28 years ago, I went through 10 months of chemotherapy for a third stage case of cancer, lymphoma. And God decided that he wasn't going to take me to my rest right then. But the Bible does tell us it's appointed to a man to die once and then the judgment. So no matter how long we put it off, 
It's coming for each of us. And that's uh, just not a happy thing. And your happiness is constantly being interrupted by sorrow in this world. There's no way around it. But there's a promise. There's a promise that all of that is going to come to an end someday. We are here in the Seventh-day Adventist church. I've been the Seventh-day Adventist and I've never been a good one. I've been a bad one and a worse one, but I've been never been a good one. And we're here today, friends, and I want you to know that I'm glad that in reality, nothing about our message has really changed. There may be some difference in the way we do things at church, some other things we've taken in that we may believe and added it to our 28, 27, 28, 29 fundamental beliefs. But the message that the Lord Jesus is coming has not diminished in the least. In fact, friends, as our forefathers declared it, today it's more true than it was then, isn't it? And every day that passes, it's more true, isn't it? Isn't that a wonderful thing about truth? That it's already true, but it becomes more true as time goes on. It is true, and the Lord himself talked about the day he would come back. And he said these words in Matthew 24. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus' point was that when the flood came, all these people, even after seeing a ship being built for 120 years, were caught by surprise. Remember what he says, Behold, I come as a what? A thief in the night. But not for you and I, friends. We're going to be standing there ready, and we're going to look up and say, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. But those who are not ready will be caught off guard. Friends, oh, the message of our church over the 62 years that I've been living is Jesus is coming and we've got to be ready. And ever since I was a little child, the preachers were always going to help us know how to get ready. And so we would start concentrating on sin and our sins, and how we've got to make certain that we've confessed every sin. Well, that's important. That is important teaching, friends. And we thought about God's holy law. Remember, David said, I love thy law. I meditate on it all the time, he said. And so a lot of times, the preacher would tell you, you know, you better make certain that you're guarding the edges of the Sabbath. It's a true teaching. It's a good thing. We need to do that. But we concentrated on our behavior, molding to those Ten Commandments, friends. We were talking about the Ten Commandments last night. Jesus came along and he said some very interesting words. He said, you've been told or you have heard it said, but I say, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we find the Sermon on the Mount, and we see at the end of Matthew 7, these words are written by Matthew, and he said, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his teachings, for he taught them as one having what? Authority, not as the scribes. You see, the scribes used to have to read and then say, I'm going to expand on this in the name of Rabbi so-and-so. Jesus did have authority of the scriptures, didn't he? The Bible tells us clearly the Holy Ghost is the author of the scriptures, isn't it? 
All scripture is given what? By inspiration of God. What does Peter say? He says it's not given to any private interpretation. In fact, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. No more back then than today is it true that we need to be ready for the Lord's return. But friends, how do we do it? What do we concentrate on? We have the whole Bible before us. And what is the Bible really? In John 5, 39, uh, Jesus makes the declaration there that the scriptures are about him. He says, you you search the scriptures for in them you believe that you have eternal life and they are they that testify of me. Isn't that right? What does Luke say? Luke, as he, he records his gospel, he talks about a story that's not in any of the other three gospels. It's about two men who are on their way to Emmaus after the crucifixion and after the resurrection. And Jesus joins them and makes himself unknown to who they, to who he is to them. I'm not speaking very well, but you'll get it. He's not, he's made certain that he's not revealing himself to them at that point. And so he asked them, why are you so down? They tell him, and he says, oh, fools, and slow to believe the gospel. He says it was right that Christ should suffer before he came into his glory. And indeed it is right, because if the Lord had not suffered, if the Lord had not been tempted above what we had been, if the Lord was not victorious, we had no Savior. But Luke then says in in Luke 24 and verse 27, and beginning at Moses and the prophets, he expounded unto them all things in the scriptures concerning whom? Himself. You open your Bible to the revelation in the introductory page there for some reason says the revelation of St. John divine. You can tear that page out. The opening verse says the revelation of Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Those scriptures are the revelation of our Lord and Savior. And we have some jewels in there. Oh, yes. Book of Daniel, that's a jewel. Book of Revelation, that's a jewel for sure. But the four gospels, friends, cannot be overlooked. If they are, none of those prophecies mean anything. If we come into this church because we've been so excited about what's been revealed in the prophecies so that we know how the end of time is coming, that's wonderful. As long as with it came the conversion experience that we found Jesus said Nicodemus would have to have before a man could enter, not even enter, but see the kingdom of heaven, John 3. He said it's the change of heart. We begin to find out from Jesus' words that good behavior has some conditions on whether or not it's accepted as righteousness in heaven. You see, when the heart has been changed, The soul has been converted. It cannot do enough good works for God, but it doesn't do them for acceptance because the Bible is clear, friends. God has showed his love to us in what way? That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let me tell you something, friends. We got a bad habit. Now, I'm I'm glad to say that we're not the only denomination that's got it, but we've got a bad habit as the Christian church as looking down on people. I've served in prison for 11 years. Sometimes I hear somebody say, well, I might have done this, but I've never done that. It's appointed to a man to die once and then the judgment. I'm going to tell you something. That's not going to hold up very good in the judgment. I may have done this, but I haven't done that. Sin is sin, friends. 
Sin is just sin. We're the ones that say, well, there's bad sin and there's good sin. There's no such thing as good sin. No, it is all black and white. Yes, there's no gray there. It's outlined in Ten Commandments, but the words of the Lord Jesus help us to understand those commandments. How important is it for us to know the commandments? The Bible says the remnant who we claim to be will keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. That's who we claim to be, friends. Are we keeping the commandments of God? Are we keeping the commandments of God today? Do we look at them one through ten and say, yes, I'm keeping the commandments of God. Let me tell you something, friends. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us that Jesus said, it has been said, you have heard it said, but I say. You see, the Sermon on the Mount helps us to understand the Ten Commandments much better. And when people start to hear it, they're in such agreement until you come to a couple of issues in there, friends. Issues that cannot be ignored. Because our salvation is very important. Oh, you can read the Beatitudes. How beautiful. Blessed are the poor. Interesting statement, but when we understand what the Lord's saying, blessed, happy are they who are persecuted wrongly for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. All these things are comforting words. Then we find a statement where the Lord is asked, which is the great commandment, So many Christians today think the Lord made this up right on the spot. And we find out his first answer comes from the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy. Where he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And he said, The second is like unto it. I'll tell you, we're reluctant to take on that second one. But listen how important it is. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He says on these two hang all the law and the prophets. The entire Old Testament has been summed up in those two statements. It would even go farther to tell us the golden rule. Treat people the way you want to be treated. In this case, he would say this is the law and the prophets. No, we don't want that. We don't want to say that, Lord. Treat people. Don't you know how people are? I think he does. I think he does. I can't seem to recall as it was in the days of Noah. So shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. How was it in the days of Noah? Not only did they continue to live life and were taken by surprise by the flood, but the Bible is clear and says that God repented that he made man. He was sorry that he made man. Why? The Bible says the earth was full of violence and every imagination of every thought was only evil. Continually. So there was a righteous man. Noah. His three sons and their wives. And Noah's wife. Those eight people boarded that boat. They did what was commanded of them, didn't they? They did what was right. They built it. They did everything that was right. And after the flood, they're the only people left on earth. And there they offered sacrifice. 
The Bible says there in the book of Genesis, the Lord smelled the sweet savor. And he said, I will never again flood the earth and cut off all humanity. And he's talking about the only people living on earth right then are the eight people that did the right thing. And he said, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Prophet Jeremiah would record the words that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And we find that the King James uh, translators could have used a different translation there that was a little more accurate. But that translation said instead of desperately wicked, incurable. And it seemed so hopeless. So they chose to use the lesser and say desperately wicked. That's not a whole lot better. It's not a whole lot better. Yeah, the Lord knows the heart. But he said, treat people the way you want to be treated. This is the law and the prophets. You can concentrate all all 10, friends, but the New Testament, the Lord's words also, and other writers are clear when they say to love another is to fulfill the law. To fulfill the law. Do you remember what the Lord said in Matthew 5? He said, think not that I have come to destroy the law, but he came to what? Fulfill the law. You and I are to fulfill the law also, friends. And someday we're going to have to figure out that every bit of that fulfillment comes by trusting in his perfection. It is his righteousness, friends. Remember, Isaiah the prophet told us that robe of righteousness, that robe is the robe of righteousness that the Lord obtained by living that perfect life. Remember that we've been told that God's strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. I've heard somebody say before, many times before, you just do the best you can and then God will do the rest. Prophet Isaiah says you've piled up a pile of filthy rags in front of the Lord and presented that as righteousness. If you do the best you can and then he does the rest. Friends, he does it all. Only good comes from God. John will tell us, he that loveth not knoweth not God for God what? Is love. Isn't it, friends? Can I suggest to you today, if you want to be ready for the Lord's return, that maybe we need to learn to love one another the way Jesus has loved us. Can I suggest to you today, friends, that the Bible is clear from his own words in John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give unto you. This later, this statement later, John in his letter to the church would say, it's not really new. It's been around all along. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you love one another. By this may all men know that you are my disciple. Oh my goodness, you may be as holy as everything on the outside, friends, if you don't love your neighbor. You're not God's disciple. It's the scriptures, it's not what I care to say. Too often today, these preachers take the Bible and try to make it say what they want it to say. No, my friends, I want to tell you today, we're going to have to learn to love the Lord Jesus first. And that may be what the problem is. When we look around today, friends, we were talking last night. You go to the church. Today I'm look, I see a few young adults. Most of us are a lot more than young now. And it's in most churches. 
Why are the youth not here? Why are the young adults not here? Because it is as it was in the days of Noah, friends. Sin has caused this. And there is every avenue outside these walls to attract and distract the young from this boring life that we have presented for them. And the only answer today is not found in rising up, friends. Today there's a lot of people wanting to defend Christianity. That's wonderful. They say we need to rise up. Let me tell you something. You want to win, you better kneel down. If you want to win and you want to be on the winning side, you better learn to kneel down and trust the Lord. Can we remember the Old Testament where King Solomon would say, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not thine own understanding in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. That's a pretty tall order, friends. But if you look at it, there's no way to fail if you should do that. It's difficult to trust God with everything Let's look what man does here. Do you remember so many years ago, a little band that said WWJD? Remember how many people wore those things? Let me ask you something. You lived through it. Was there a great awakening like there was in the 19th century and everybody went back to God? Did everybody, did hardly anybody contemplate what they would do based on what they thought Jesus would do? More people wore the bracelets than did that, didn't they? We saw 9-11 come. And if you're old enough to have known that, this just seems like yesterday to me. When 9-11 came, all of a sudden it looked like the whole nation turned back to God. When about four and a half months later, they was all worshiping the movie stars again. John Hagen, San Antonio calls the movie stars the hounds of hell. <laughs> I like that. This is not where to look, friends, not the movie stars. I think we need to go back to God's word, don't we? I think even before we knew that much about the commandments, even before our forefathers had accepted the Sabbath day as a truth, somebody was being shook and woken up to know that the Lord Jesus was coming soon. And he is coming soon, friends. And with all this death around us, we have no guarantee that we're going to be standing here alive when he comes. We may, may not make it home today. We never know. A reminder is all around us all the time, just like David will say, yea, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death. But the good news is, he says, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. In the trials that you're suffering, being ill, let me tell you something, 10 months of chemotherapy was a dark time. In fact, they thought they were going to be through with me in six months. After six months, he said, be glad you've had your last chemotherapy. I want you to take a CT over at St. Paul Hospital and come see me in a couple of weeks. When I came to see him, he said, I'm sorry. There's still two large tumors on your right lung here. We need to do two more months worth and then take another. So we did. And I went back. And he said, I'm sorry. There's still two large tumors on your right lung. And we need to take two more months now, making it 10 altogether. And then we'll have another CAT scan. So when that was complete, he said, I'm hoping that maybe what shows up on the CAT scan is just scarring that makes it look like that because you can't have any more chemotherapy and they're still there. 
It was 28 years ago, friends. It was 28 years ago. You see, I went to the other elders and the pastor, and there was an anointing service. And during that time, I'm going to tell you, there was a revelation for me. I'm not sure that I know how to explain it. I didn't fall unconscious before the Lord. I didn't hear his voice like I'm talking to you. But I received an assurance in my heart that God had granted to save me from this disease. And when we stood up, I wasn't healed with an instant miracle. It was 10 months of chemotherapy. In a way, my friends, it was a fiery furnace. Because after I had to go back on that needle, I felt deserted by the Lord. Not for very long, but for a minute or two. I decided to read the book of Mark. I don't know exactly what caused me to do that. But when you read Mark's gospel, it's the shortest one. And it also starts out with a little bit about John the Baptist preaching. And then it's a miracle after miracle after miracle. I read about four or five chapters in the book of Mark and I got up and I went to Dallas and I took my chemotherapy. And I had a renewed faith. We don't have no guarantee in this life, friends. And I'm so tired, so tired of hearing people say, pray for me because I have cancer because it breaks my heart to hear it. I hate to think what they have to go through because I've been there. And it may not be as bad because that's almost 30 years ago. And they're learning more things about how the patient can recover from these ugly things they do to us. But I'm more glad to know that the message is still the Lord is coming. Friends, I'd hope today that as we get ready to close, what we will do is purpose in our hearts like Daniel did that we will continue in communion with God. If we do this, we will remember what he has done for us. You know, I have people say to me, they, they text me and they um, message on Facebook after they read my um, post a lot of times and they say, you know, I appreciate your words, but I don't do the God thing. God, God has never done anything for me but take my dad when I was really young. No, I think he's done a little bit more than that. He took my dad when I was very young, too. I was 17. I'm the oldest of three. My dad was only 40 years old when he passed away of a heart attack. That wasn't easy. And it has had something to do with what my brother, sister, and I are today. And probably part, part or more of that is not good. But the Lord Jesus also came. The giver of life also came from glory, friends. And he chose to be born by God in a stable rather than a palace. And he chose a difficult blue-collar life to learn a hard-working trade as a carpenter. And the Bible tells us when he started his ministry, a man would say to him, Master, I'll follow you anywhere you go. And his reply is, Foxes have holes, and the fowls of the air have nests but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. <laughs> Next time you see a homeless man out there, you ever consider maybe you're looking at Jesus? Oh, no, it wouldn't be like that. Friends, he said he didn't have a place to live. You see, the Lord tells us, the book tells us that also the Lord prepared for battle with his enemy and to help us understand 
In his human strength, he made himself about as weak as one can possibly be without just passing out. 40 days without eating. I'm not really ready to fight in 40 days after it. Well, I'm ready to fight after about six or seven hours of not eating. But 40 days, no. And we remember, friends, what we got to remember. Here came that confrontation. If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And Lord Jesus responded with those big three words. You know, we talked about the big three words in the Old Testament today. They were what, but if not. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we, our God is able. But if he decides not, we're not going to bow down. Three biggest words in the New Testament were, it is written. It is written that man shall not live by bread alone because bread only helps us live till we're hungry again. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, that's eternal life, friends. And don't forget that the devil knows those scriptures better than you do. We're going to have to rely on the Lord to get through this time because we are approaching the time, if we're not already there, when it is as it was in the days of Noah. Right now you look at our country, so divided. You think there's a good party and a bad party. I'm not afraid to stand before you and say extremists on both sides are making both parties bad. And that's my opinion. And that's about as much as I talk about politics. But I want you to know this. They're actually working together. Both sides are working as hard as they can, opposed from each other, and they're working into God's plan to provide a crack in this constitution so that life can be given back to the beast of Revelation 13. So if you want some prophecy, there it is. And I say again, friends, to be ready, we're going to have to learn to love. The last thing, the judgment scene is set also in that book of Matthew, Matthew 7 and Matthew 25. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but they have done the will of my father. Now I want you to know it's a fair argument that, that comes up from that. Those that are lost are supposedly going to say, I shouldn't say supposedly, it's written there in Jesus' words. They're going to say, but Lord, look what we've done. We've cast out devils. We've done many wondrous works in thy name. And the Bible says Jesus tells you something there that's worse than any horror film they've ever come up with. I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Some preachers will preach just on that and they'll say, here's what God's will is. You don't need to do that. You go to Matthew 25 and he tells the same story just a little differently. He says, when the Son of Man comes, he will separate the saved from the lost like a shepherd separates the goats from the sheep. And to the sheep on the right hand side, he'll say, come on in because I was hungry and you fed me. Probably some of those people that they fed were meth addicts. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was sick and you came to me. I was in prison. Listen, I've heard people say, I'm not going to serve in prison. Well, it isn't for everybody. But you should hear why they say it. But some of those, some of those people have committed sex crimes. 
Sin is sin, friends. I'm not going in there. God can forgive them. I can't forgive them. Let me take you back to Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Your offering means nothing to God. And if you leave it there and have something against your brother and haven't taken care of that, it is not blessed. That's the words of the Lord. Jesus said, you have been told, you have heard it said, love thy neighbor and hate your enemy. But he said, and he said, I say, love your enemy. Gives examples. If he makes you walk a mile, walk a second mile. If he breaks your arm, say, God bless you. Interesting that that lady did what God said. And look what the result was. If he takes your coat, Give him your overcoat too. If he strikes you on one side, turn the other cheek. You're being put to the, to the test here, friends. See, even the words Jesus said might explain the Old Testament a little better, but didn't make it a whole lot easier. When I write and say, the Bible says, the words that Jesus says, to, to be forgiven, you have to forgive. I get a lot of response. Yeah, but... It's not found in there, friends. It just says, if you want to be forgiven, you got to forgive. Let me tell you something. Is there anything more important than being forgiven? If you're not forgiven, you're not saved. We have to forgive. We're going to have to learn that if we're going to be persecuted, we're going to have to say, when our arm is broke, may God bless you. We're going to have to go through that that way. Don't look to your legislators, friends, because legislation is going to legislate morality and religion again someday. And then whose version, you see? We better rise up. I think we better kneel down. I think we'd better kneel down and we better consider what the Lord Jesus has done for us. That agonizing death on the cross says a lot of things, friends. But remember Isaiah said these words. He said, he said, behold, the hand of the Lord is not shortened that he cannot save, nor is his ear deaf that he cannot hear, but thine iniquities have separated you from God. How many times over your life have you made mistakes, made mistakes, made mistakes and felt the guilt that comes? You're going to feel it because that comes from the devil also. He wants that guilt to be so strong that you feel you can't approach God. Don't ever listen to that, friends. No matter what you've done, God will take you back. It is 2020. I can remember being a kid and seeing it change from 1969 to 1970. And I thought, man, 1970. Now I look back at 1970 and say, man, 1970, a long time ago. 1970, boy, I thought that really meant something. See, I'd been born in the 50s, lived through the whole 60s decade, and, walked, and saw this one change over. I thought, boy, I done seen it all. No, the Lord continues to delay his coming. But the Bible give us, gives us comfort with that too. He says he's not slow with his promise to come back like some people see slowness, but that he's patient, wishing that everyone would come to repentance rather than for one to be saved. 
If we haven't learned to love one another, friends, if we haven't appreciated what God has done for us, if we haven't appreciated what God has done for us, our heart has not been changed. The Lord said this is what has to happen to enter heaven. Do your best, God will do the rest. Give it all to him, friends. Why are we going to carry around the burden that he took to Calvary with him? Let go of it. If you don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. It's my prayer today, friends. My prayer today that we will hear not those horrible words. Isn't it wonderful that the people who are going in are given these accolades, but we know that we've been miserable sinners the whole time. And instead of, I never knew you, the Lord says, well done. Well done of all things. We haven't done anything well, friends. He has, though. He has, and we rest in his righteousness. And it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? He covers those sins with his robe of righteousness. He calls for the servants to make a celebration. He puts a ring on our finger that designates we belong to the family of God and shoes on our feet so that we can go and tell others about what our great father has done for us. You see, we need all four of those authors of the, of the New Testament gospels because without any one of them, it's just not complete. And Luke wasn't even a Jew. He was a Gentile. And we wouldn't have a whole New Testament if we didn't have Luke 15, friends. Without the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son, it'd be incomplete. No, the Bible tells us that the man ran to where his son was. Bible's clear. God comes to where the sinner is. He doesn't make you come so far, and then I'll meet you part way. We turn and call out. He comes running. And I'm glad that that's the Savior that I have today. I'm praying. I'm praying that somehow the arrogance of knowing everything about how the world's going to end will transform into love for one another someday within God's remnant people. Let us pray. Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for your wonderful compassion and patience, Lord. We love how you describe yourself to Moses, the lawgiver, as he's called. When you would say the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, abounding in goodness and truth and keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving sin, transgression, and iniquity. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for the hatred that we've had for one another at times. Father, forgive us for looking down on those who have made the wrong moves and put themselves in the position they are. We are also in the position we got into by our own foolish mistakes, Lord. Thank you for forgiving us and help us to forgive those who have wronged us today, Lord, that we might know that change of heart that you said is necessary for us to have to be in heaven. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.